Welcome back to He's Dead, Jim. We're watching Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and it's time now to cross live via subspace radio to Commodore Emily Lind. How are you, Emily? I'm good. How are you doing? Very good. Do you like the rank of Commodore? I, I, I sort of do, except that I'm currently in the middle of this book about Scientology, and that's what they call Al Ron Hubbard. And so those that's oh. my immediate association. Oh, I always think of Commodore 64. <laughs> an awesome computer I wanted better. as a kid. <laughs> yeah, there's a few, few of these extreme groups that ruin cool names. Yeah, other than that, Commodore is a great rank. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, features a lot in this series. Come across a couple of Commodores. I actually, I should have looked this up. So I assume Admiral is a higher rank than Commodore, or am I just assuming wildly? I, I think Admiral's the highest rank, isn't it? Yeah, I think that. Yeah, Admiral Nelson. Yeah, that sounds like the highest. And I feel like maybe do they still use Commodore in the later series? I haven't heard it come up. I've heard a lot of admirals. I think that's when they sort of dropped. So I'm pretty sure, like, Janeway makes it to an admiral at some point, I think. Yeah, I think in, like, the end of the series when they do, like, a forward thing. And definitely one of the one of the Next Generation movies, one of the that's later ones. That's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Reporting to her on the screen. Yeah, that's probably what I'm thinking of. Where do we start with this week's episode? This episode sucks. <laughs> Can we start with that? Yeah, it's awful. This is probably going to be a quick episode. If you're not watching every episode, then probably skip this one. I know we had like we had a wonderful episode last week with the Klingons and that fantastic actor that played Core. This is just a, it's a very nothing episode, and even from the point of view of I don't know about hate watching or whatever, but. Yeah, I've, I've never done that, but I, often I like, you know, when I watch old sci-fi or old Doctor Who, I like it. I, sometimes I enjoy it when the effects are dodgy or the episode's dodgy and it's kind of funny or just fun to watch. This is kind of nothing. It's really boring. Like, I kept I kept waiting for something to happen, and it doesn't. <laughs> I'm going to say, like, the, the concept is interesting. I don't think this is our first... This is not our first multiverse episode, though. What was the maybe first production one? order? Uh, we had the evil universe with. So you had um, in the parallel universe, there was like a fascist version of we Starfleet. We haven't gotten that yet. Yeah, we have, haven't we? No. Did I just watch that and imagine that we did an episode on that? Well, maybe I did. Yeah. <laughs> when is that then? That must be season two then. Yeah. Where they've got goatees. Spock has a goatee. Yeah, I know what you're talking Hang about. On. It's awesome. Yeah. No, yeah. It's the f- episode four of season two. Wow. What do I think we've done that? Maybe. I mean, okay, we've talked we about it before. Yeah. Are you doing another Star Trek podcast that I don't know about? No, I'm just, no, I'm just random. Maybe you were just so bored during this episode that you were thinking about other better episodes. I think so. That sounds just about right. Um, either way, like the the concept of a multiverse is always interesting, and the 
the concept of like a negative version of our positive universe is interesting. Uh, but this is just, everything's terrible about it. There is no story. Okay, so this week we watched The Alternative Factor, Season 1, Episode 27. It's Episode 28 on Netflix. It aired on NBC on March 30, 1967. Uh, it's, our start date is 3087.6. It's directed by Gerd Oswald, Oswald or Gerd Oswald. I don't know how you pronounce that. And written by Don Inglis. Now... The Enterprise are orbiting a planet and they're doing some mapping or measuring of the planet. So this is a new system that hasn't been mapped, I'm guessing. Uh, Kirk says about four more orbits ought to do it and then they can head to Starbase 200. And suddenly they're interrupted by a violent shaking of the Enterprise and like an explosion sound. And how how would you describe the special effects, Emily? I mean... Well, I would describe them as bad, but it's just like a photo negative, and sometimes a photo <laughs> negative spins around. Yeah, and it's sort of like it's like a superimposed, you know, like a picture of a galaxy or a I don't know, supernova, some sort of phenomena that just it appears transparently over the live action. It'd make it pretty tricky to to try and like if you wanted to replace the special effects in this one, you you couldn't other than just doing cutaway to something else, I guess, because it's overlaid over the top of so much of the live action. Okay, and we get shots of you know the bridge crew you know falling off their chairs and getting thrown around the bridge. Um, Spock says the entire magnetic field in this solar system blinked twice for a split second, and I think he describes it as winking out. Yeah which we then get repeated by everybody a million times this episode, is winking out a thing you say in America. Um, like, it didn't strike me like, as particularly odd, but its I don't think it's something I've ever used. Like, oh, man, my computer just winked out on me. No. No, that's not a thing. Okay. Um, so I guess that's a way of trying to describe what happened. Yeah, or or maybe it's someone that was used in the sixties. I don't know. Like again, like it's not like I knew exactly what it meant. Yeah, yeah. That's I, true. I, I, I guess I've heard uh, it before, but it's not common parlance. So during this time, it does sound a bit sixties hip slang. <laughs> <laughs> um, during this time, the mass of the planet they they are measuring attained zero gravity. So basically, what Spock's saying is it ceased to exist. Um, Uhura says she's received a standard general alert from Starfleet Command and Spock's scanners now detect a single human life on the planet that wasn't there before. Okay, so Kirk and Spock beam down to dramatic music uh, with an armed security detachment of four red shirts and they see what looks like a crashed flying saucer and they go and investigate. And I was just wondering, this is... I think this is the first sort of stereotypical flying saucer ship that I remember seeing. Yeah, it's very stereotypical. It really, what I first put in mind, because it has the little bubble thing, it reminded me of the car on the Jetsons. Yeah, because it's sort of got a tail, like it's not, it's not completely round or anything. But yeah, it is cool. It's very 60s. Um, and originally I thought it was crashed or something, but yeah, I don't know. Because, yeah, it's got like an open design. And we'll find out about a bit more about that at the end of the episode. 
Uh, on the ridge above them, a disheveled human appears with a massive long glued-on goatee. Uh, he, he's wearing a blue torn suit and you know, it's dirty. It looks like he's been, he's had a rough trot. He's almost like, like he's been Tom Hanks on Castaway for a bit. This, this facial hair is really upsetting. It's ridiculous. It wouldn't, yeah. Cause it's not, it's not full enough, I guess. Yeah. So it's just like really like kind of like scraggly, like they didn't have a. It's like half of a fake goatee. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It looks like something you'd glue on a muppet or something. No, actually, no. The Henson Henson Company would have done a better job. <laughs> um, he yells out, uh, "You came! Thank the heavens! There's still time. It's not too late. We can stop him." But then he sort of tips over backwards and passes out and falls down the hill. Back on the bridge, we have actually this is the one good redeeming thing about this episode. We have a female Afro-American lieutenant, and I think she is probably yeah the first. That was good. Um, yeah, yeah, probably the first um, female character that's in uh, like a, a skilled role and not there to be a love interest to someone. She's just there doing her job, uh, which is pretty cool. So she's reporting to Kirk, giving him an update on dilithium crystals, and apparently they were drained during the magnetic disturbance earlier, so they're going to have a problem. So we get incoming messages from Starfleet Command, Code Factor 1, which we're told means invasion status. Dun, dun, dun. So battle stations. The Commodore appears on the screen and informs Kirk that the magnetic effect occurred in every quadrant of the galaxy and beyond. The phenomena occurred at its strongest point in the area uh, that the Enterprise is patrolling. They suspect this might be a sign of imminent invasion and all Starfleet vessels and personnel within 100 parsecs of their location are being evacuated. Emily, you host a Star Wars podcast. I do. This came out uh, about over 10 years before Star Wars and they are using the term parsec correctly. <laughs> yeah. Justify your other franchise. <laughs> there is no, and like I honestly, I fucking hate that shit when people try to retroactively fix it. Being like, oh no, he just found like a. They mean that he found a shortcut or something that makes the distance shorter. That's dumb. They just fucked it up, and you just gotta admit yeah. that they just fucked it up. Is it fair to say, okay, in Star Wars language, parsec means no? They just fucked time. it up. They I just think, fucked well, it up. I okay, think you well. just gotta go. They meant time, and they screwed it up. Yep. So within the universe, he made it in a faster time than anybody ever has before, and they just use the wrong Sneak. word. Yeah. Maybe that's him. Maybe that's just on a hard and solo. He didn't go to school for long enough. <laughs> Han is a bit of a dummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could go with that. That's a good retconning. I love Star Wars and I love George Lucas, but I'm not. it's not clear how much proofreading of his own scripts get done. <laughs> Kirk goes to chat with the mysterious human who's recovering in sickbay now. Um, 
at some point we find out his name is Lazarus and he tells Kirk he's been chasing a creature across the universe that killed his entire civilization. This creature appears humanoid on the outside, but inside he is a, mis- he is a hideous, murdering monster. Lazarus is wild-eyed and talks about his holy mission. And uh, Kirk brings Lazarus back down to the planet and uh, basically just brings him along to try and verify if what what he's saying is correct. Um, Spock explains that Lazarus is lying and there are no other creatures on the planet. And suddenly the magnetic effect occurs again. And basically the... We get the photo of the galaxy or whatever superimposed over the top of the live action and Lazarus appears to be getting zapped and he starts yelling, you've come back here, lizard. Well, don't stop. Come at me again. We'll finish this. And he runs, sort of runs into the heart of this phenomena and then our universe spins away. It's like a dodgy sort of effect from PowerPoint 98 (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. And then uh, so shrinks away and then we get a like a negative spins up in its place and we see Lazarus in this blurry film negative and then sort of trying to find his way through this sort of struggling through this void uh, until he encounters another humanoid and the two you know, have a bit of a fight and a wrestle struggle for a bit until one of them is thrown. Uh, they look the same, so it's really not clear what's going on and then or who's winning or what's happening. Then the negative spins away and our universe returns and Kirk wakes up an exhausted Lazarus on the ground who says he's encountered the terrible thing again. He'll kill us all if we don't kill it first. He grits his teeth and yells, kill, 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 over and over again until the commercial break. Everything about this sucks. This fucking script sucks. It's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. Um, Spock still can't really explain the phenomena. Uh, All Spock can confirm is that the occurrence of the phenomena coincides with the exact moment that Lazarus claims to be having these confrontations, which I think they kind of just saw happen in front of them. Um, Lazarus is being treated in sickbay and McCoy says he had a large cut on his forehead, which he bandaged up and moments later uh, there was no trace of the bandage or the cut at all. And. Kirk has this weird thing, and he's done this before with McCoy, and it frustrates the hell out of me, where he's like, thinks McCoy is playing a prank on him or something. Yeah. Where, like, yeah. dude, what are you talking about? This is your chief medical officer, and a time when your ship is a, like high alert, the universe might be destroyed. He's telling you some weird shit's going You know, some weird shit's going on. Yeah, and he's frustrating. just so dismissive of it for no reason. So Lazarus is wandering through the ship, following the crew that are off. They're off to check on the dilithium crystals when the phenomena occurs again. Moments later, Kirk and McCoy bump into him and find the bandage and the cut beneath it has reappeared. And this, yeah, this is where Kirk thinks Bones is playing the dumb joke on him. That's the extent of my notes, uh, for good reason. <laughs> because basically after this, the 
phenomena happens backwards and forth. Um, the so Lazarus goes and steals the dilithium crystals. Um, Kirk wants to know where he's hidden them. They can't find them. And eventually we figure out that there is two universes, a negative universe and a positive universe. The negative one is made of antimatter and our positive universe is made of matter. And the Lazarus, uh, the negative Lazarus is good. He um, basically took the dilithium crystals and hid them. So that positive Lazarus, who's all crazy and disheveled and has the cut on his head, can't get the dilithium crystals. And he's lied the whole time about the, the other guy or this creature being a monster. Apparently, he's just upset that uh, uh, an alternative version of him exists and he wants to destroy him. But the catch with that is... If the two of them meet at the same time in the same universe, the two exact particles of matter and antimatter, uh, then both universes will be destroyed. Yeah, so they can only meet in this, like, corridor where they fight, which is, I guess, yeah. like, between the universes. Look, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I... I was pay- I was trying to pay attention, but by the end of this episode, I was I was checked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. You know, I I didn't bother writing any more notes because it was just this shitty effect just happening over and over again when they swap between them. You know, it becomes clear there's two different characters. It's kind of a twist, but not really. That the negative Lazarus turns out to be the logical and good one that's trying to stop the universes from being destroyed. But again, how do they actually know he's telling the truth? Just could go with a hunch. Yeah. You don't, you don't trust the crazy one that you know has lied to you, I guess. Um, do we need to say anything else about this? <laughs> this is terrible. Um, so how does I want to talk about the. They're just going to fight for eternity, I guess? Yeah. So at one point. Kirk confronts um, bad positive Lazarus who has the – he's got the crystals back or he's got some more crystals and he's preparing to travel to the other universe to destroy his opposite and destroy both universes. And Kirk arrives just at the right time or the wrong time for Lazarus and Kirk is transported to this negative, you know, film negative corridor and he ends up briefly in the negative universe um, and has a chat with negative Lazarus uh, who's very logical and reasonable and explains it all to him. Uh, And then they basically figure out how to send Lazarus or they come up with a plan to send bad positive Lazarus back into the tunnel so good negative Lazarus can wrestle with him for all eternity and keep him trapped there forever. Um, God damn, it's stupid. It is like there's nothing There's nothing redeeming in it. McCoy doesn't say any cool George and McCoy things while he's treating them. Spock doesn't really – I mean, Spock's just there just reporting – his findings, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing in this episode. Um, so I wonder how, let's have a look at who wrote it so we can get them. 
Um, so it's written by Don Inglis. Don Inglis was a buddy of Gene Roddenberry's from the police force. Um, and he wrote for, you know, he wrote for a few other shows or whatever, but he basically wrote two scripts for Star Trek. So the alternative factor that we watched this week and a private little war, which, uh, Oh, something to look forward it's to, I season guess. season two, but it's, it was his, um, it was a criticism piece he wrote about the Vietnam War, but apparently it was heavily rewritten by Roddenberry to the extent that Inglis got angry and insisted on being credited under a fake name and didn't talk to Roddenberry for a year after it or something like that. Um, so we'll watch out for that one. And the other one is the director. I was just interested to see what he directed so we can... So let's assume Roddenberry fixed that one. I hope so. And Gerd Oswald. Uh, what are the other episodes he made? So okay. So Gerd Oswald will never see one directed by him again. He also directed The Conscience of the King, the Shakespeare episode, which was heaps better than this, but I don't think it was fantastic directing. And there we go. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, you're just giving up on life like I, just, I have. Man. <laughs> this is the this worst is so episode true. so far, right? Yeah, definitely. Like all the others have had some redeeming quality in, you know, they're interesting because they're silly or something. At least one good thing happens in it. So the, the only good thing that happens in this, which probably has nothing to do with the writer or the director, really. Is the only redeeming thing is the African American woman in a good role, <laughs> and <laughs> that's it. I mean, uh, her is a good role, but she's still, you know, uh, definitely at the start, she's sort of just there. Yeah, you know, Spock or, or she's trying to flirt with Spock in the, the first episode, and her role, like as communications officer, it feels a bit like a telephone switchboard operator. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see that next level, see a woman as a science officer. And I know we've had, you know, we had a, a, a female prosecutor early on trying to, that had, had the tough job of prosecuting Kirk, but she was also there as an old flame of Kirk and Kirk kisses her at the end. So, uh, and that's all I have to say about this episode. Man, yeah, I'm. Uh... Like, it's just, there's no reason for this episode to exist. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. And it's not even like, uh, just, you know, watch a bit of this one so you can laugh at the shit effect. It's just shit. It would have been shit in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, like, there's no dude in a giant lizard suit or anything. Yeah. Like, anybody in film school could have gone, whoa, this is a weird in between universe will just not develop the negative properly. <laughs> and it's just like that's half the episode. It's just those scenes. Yeah, and over and over again. The spinning PowerPoint slide. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I, I don't think we can redeem this in any way. I'm very, very glad we didn't drag a guest through oh, this, God. particularly someone. <laughs> Imagine somebody that had never seen Star Trek before or, you know, that never seen the original series. This would kill it for them. Yeah, it's not so a good first impression. 
What definitely watch uh, our last episode, the Errand of Mercy, the Klingon episode. Watch that, and definitely watch the next episode because the next episode is one of the best Star Trek episodes of all time. Oh yes, our good buddy Catherine Neen from that Geek Pod um, is very excited to join us. We're very excited to have her on for that episode next week. Yeah, we only have so that will be super. Two fun. more episodes left. Yeah, yeah. So it took. Um, Took about twelve months to get through the first oh season. My God. Mostly thanks to me having <laughs> we had a few breaks in, to, in between where I was sort of too busy to record or too busy to sit down and edit. But uh, yeah, I think we're, we're sort of we're getting into I'm getting into a good routine where I can sort of plow through them now. Um, so yeah, I guess what do we want to do for the the next season? Do we want to watch every episode or do we want to go through? Uh, and see if there's any ones like this one and just skip them. <laughs> I mean, are we allowed to do that? I don't know if we're allowed to do that. I, that feels yeah, like that feels wrong. I feel like since we've done the first season like this, we got to keep doing it. Yeah, I think Although so. Although maybe, yeah, Even if it's- we should look ahead a little bit. So if there's like a really shitty episode, maybe we could like do an episode where we're covering two episodes or something. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, except I'm too. Con- I remember one week. I think it's yeah, just before I was going away on holidays, and we recorded two in the one day, and I got confused between what happened in both episodes. <laughs> Did a remix. Honestly, it could only so make know. this episode more interesting. Yeah, that's right. Just like I tried to yeah retcon our podcast <laughs> and say we'd already reviewed. <laughs> so maybe this is the first concept of a multiverse. But it is like it's like the worst science fiction story. It's like I want to talk about this cool, weird parallel universe thing and I'm just going to do that and I'm not going to bother writing a story or characters that we care about. Yeah, there's no story here. There's, yeah, there's nothing. Don't even worry about subtext or anything like that. There's nothing happens. This character is a nothing nobody, Lazarus. Yeah. By the way, I just went ahead a couple episodes on Memory Alpha to see because I have, you know, I'm, like I've said, I've barely seen any of the original series, and I found the description for the first episode of season two. Nice. And I'm so excited now. Do you want to hear it? Please. Okay. The episode is called Cat's Paw, and this the little like one episode encapsulation is the Enterprise crew finds witches. Black cats and haunted castles on a distant planet. Oh, I like that episode. I like it a lot. I am so excited. And again, this is one that it feels like a crazy old Doctor Who episode as well. Yeah. I like okay, I'm excited. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. You've just restored <laughs> my faith in Star Trek and this podcast. Oh, they announced the uh the Oh, this is going to be bad because I can't remember her name. But the director of the pilot of the Picard series is a woman. Sweet. Which is like the first time that's happened in Star Trek. The first time they've had a female director? Well, for for the pilot of a show. For the pilot, yeah. Okay, cool. Very good. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I heard Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Frakes is going to direct an episode as well. That makes sense. He's directing. Like, that's sort of like his career now, mostly, is directing. Yeah. Uh, he, of course, played Riker in Next Generation. But, yeah, he, he directed 
quite a few of the episodes, I think, in later series. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah, he directed a bit of, I think he directed Voyager as well, if I'm not imagining that. Possibly. That makes I, sense. Like, he's done a ton of TV directing. Yeah. Well, he even directed, I'm pretty sure he directed one of the Next Generation movies as well. Yes, I don't remember which one. Yeah. So that's cool. Oh, man, that's something to look forward to. That and new Twilight Zone. Man, let's uh, let's pull a pin on this episode. I'm going to go watch Discovery and cheer myself up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or the Seth MacFarlane on Orville. I think I've, uh, I think I've got to commit to that and get that all done now. Yeah, I'll I need to Discovery go back to that one. Back I sort of forgot about it. Yeah, it's good. I'm like I'm still I'm nowhere. I'm still like about halfway through the first season. But yeah, it's good. And then after that I'll watch Family Guy. Which is your most hated Seth MacFarlane series? Oh, American Dad. Yeah, me too. I mean that show I think is unwatchable. Yeah. There's I mean there's elements of it I liked. There was one episode where I think the alien guy was meant to be like Jimmy Stewart. It was almost like the Glenn Miller movie. Um, there's, yeah, there's a little things I liked about it, but it was by far the worst series. I reckon the Cleveland show was better than that. <laughs> I have not seen a second of that. Oh, yeah. I think I was the only one that liked it on the planet, which is why it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> um. What I did like, I liked A Million Ways to Die in the West. I thought that was a good movie. And that didn't do so well, but it was fun. It was a nice, fun Western. I take it you haven't seen that? I have not seen that. Because I don't like, like, they were, or, like, I liked, I don't know, maybe, like, the first season or two of Family Guy. Yep. But other than that, I have not liked Seth Farned, except that I think that Orville is great. And I think he's really good in it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it shows that he's not just the family guy guy in terms of, like, the cynical. The cynical fart joke guy. Yeah. (laughs) Like, when I first heard he was doing the Orville, I'm like, I don't need a Star Trek parody. But it, it shows he really loves Star Trek. Yeah. Like, it has real he, heart to it. He was an extra, I think, in an episode of Enterprise or something. He had a tiny little role early on. Oh. Which I think was, yeah, obviously his family guy was happening and mm-hmm. he had the opportunity to call a friend in Hollywood or I think Brandon Braga or whatever, which he was like executive producer on a lot of the – yeah. Star Trek series, the later ones, and then he he produces Orville now. So it looks like he's moved off Star Trek. He also produced, executive produced uh, Cosmos, which Seth MacFarlane bankrolled, I think, basically, and sort of had, any, had a like a backseat executive producer role. Did you like the new Cosmos? I haven't seen all of it. Because I just sort of, right. like, I watched it and then I forgot it was on. And I just, it's one of those shows, like, if it was on TV in front of me, I would watch it and really enjoy it. Yep. But I don't, like, seek it out, you know? Yeah, I like, I really enjoyed it. I've got it on Blu-ray. 
Uh, but it's on Netflix now. I, man, anything to not talk about this episode. Basically, watch any other science fiction and don't watch this episode. Go watch the Do Orville. Do not watch this episode. Yeah, watch some of the Orville. Watch, yeah. Watch the previous episode. Watch the next episode. Watch Discovery. Watch anything else. Go outside for a walk. Go to the beach. <laughs> read Pet a, a dog. Yeah. Write a poem. Do some interpretive dance. <laughs> Do literally anything else with the rest of your day. Do nothing. Stare at the ceiling. <laughs> Just yell, kill, 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 repeatedly. But no, what if Lazarus? That. What if Lazarus? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's the, the line at the end where they, Kirk and Spock just sort of reflect on what's happening to Lazarus he's trapped in that negative realm forever fighting himself a crazed madman surely there'd have to be another option if you're in that position you'd surely you'd choose suicide or any other option <laughs> <laughs> but I, I suppose so he's got the good Lazarus has to be there no I'm, no, I'm not going to try and explain it there is no logic to this no, it's, it's yeah, no. They just, you just start to go, okay, fine. Sure. They got to fight for eternity. Fuck. This is terrible. Okay, do not watch this episode. Um, a good thing to do with your time is to listen to Canterbite Dispatch with Emily Lind and Brittany Brown. How do we find that? Um, you can find it on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Uh, Cantobite Dispatch. You can find it on Twitter at Cantobite Pod. And you can find me on Twitter at EF Lind. Yay. Um, you can find us, he's dead Jim Pod, at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Follow us. We're at, his, at he's dead Jim Pod on all of your favorite social medias. Um, if you follow us on Facebook, I've shared lately a few um, of our comedian pals that have dropped in and been lovely to be, been kind enough to drop in as awesome guests. So it's comedy festival season in Australia, so they're all doing their shows at the moment. Um, so Nick Carr and Dan Dennis, Demi Lardner, definitely check those guys out. And that's about it. Uh, we'll see you next week. Until next time. Fight your evil twin forever <laughs> in the negative universe. <laughs> Until next time, keep, keep the, the Star, Star Trent alive. alive. Beautiful. <laughs>